This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So... The only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via our participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to this uh, bonus edition of the Forever Bristol City podcast. It's another in the series of In Conversation With, and this time it's none other than Bobby Gould, who spoke to me this week from his home in uh, Portishead, where he's lived pretty much the whole time since he came to Bristol City in the wake of John Galley's departure at the tail end of 1972. Bobby played uh, almost 450 games at the highest level, scoring almost 200 goals. And that playing career started with Coventry City, went on to Arsenal, two spells with Wolves, West Brom. Then he went from West Brom to Bristol City, then to West Ham, and then uh, over to the Gas. When he was at Bristol City, it was a relatively short stay, only 35 games uh, long, but it was eventful to a point. And during that period, he scored 15 goals. So not a bad uh, goals to uh, game ratio there. As a manager, well, he began his career there with uh, Rovers. He spent two periods as manager of uh, the Gas. Then uh, one of his former clubs, Coventry, but it was at Wimbledon when they were in the now Premier League, where he enjoyed most success uh, winning the FA Cup with them uh, in 1988. He went on to manage the uh, Wales national team from 95 to 99. But as a manager, uh, at club level, he managed uh, some total of 624 games, so pretty experienced. And uh, with all that experience and far more knowledge than any of me or my regular cohorts on Forever Bristol City uh, have, um, compared, compared with us, I uh, began the conversation by asking him his views on the Norwich City versus Bristol City game played this week. But at my request, he did watch it on Sky. And uh, this is what he had to say. And then after that, we go on to me talking to Bobby about his uh, career as a uh, player and uh, as a manager. So I hope you enjoy it. And uh, here we go. Bobby, good good morning to you. Uh, I made you watch football that you might not have otherwise watched. So I appreciate you doing that. Tell us what you think of Bristol City and probably the first time you've seen them on TV this season and maybe for a very long time. Give us your thoughts. 
Um, it is the first time we've seen them, and but you do a lot of reading. Um, I take the Western Daily um, every day. I get a little bit disappointed today. They haven't put the team in and they haven't put Norwich teams in. So I can have a moan at the Western Daily. And, uh, but no, uh, the circumstances are that 4-4-2 system is a system that I always played throughout, the, throughout my um, uh, managerial reign. Before that, um, with um, Jimmy Hill and Bertie Mee, I, was a, I played off somebody up the, up the middle. I, I just felt that the confidence that uh, Norwich perf performed with was a very, very, very high standard. And uh, their system, uh, they would have anticipated um, the Bristol City coming out with a 4 4 2 because they'd played on Saturday, 1 2 0, and people would have been very, very, very happy. But I just feel as well that people and, and you and I, and, and perhaps uh, we don't realize A, the amount of traveling that people have to do and play and get back on that coach. And I, I just wonder what time they got, all got home last night. If it was on a plane, and they probably well, if they, it was on a plane, it wouldn't have been too bad. But you're absolutely right. I mean, if they were driving back from there and they got away, okay, six o'clock kickoff, they got away at half eight, say, they wouldn't have been home much before one o'clock, would they? And that's no, driving and, 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 and what we have to remember, Dave, is that, that this is a, it's a most difficult period in my 74 years I have ever, ever experienced. And I, I look at the, the, the way that the football is in the Premier League on Sky Television and uh, it was a, a Sky Television last night. You know, we have the uh, opportunity to, to watch it. And, OK, yeah, but we can all pick holes in it. Yeah, we can yeah. all pick holes in it. But I've been the other side as well. I've been where Dean is. Yes. <laughs> and, and I, you know, you know, you think to yourself, when you're sitting there and it's nice and quiet, and sometimes I turn the sound down and turn times, I, I, don't, I don't have the sound, I, I just watch it, you know. And, and, and you do feel, I feel for people, I really feel. And yeah. Norwich, uh, they, 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 played, they played really well last they, night. They, they, they did do well. I mean, our goalkeeper, Dan Bentley, he's widely regarded as probably one of the guest, best goalkeepers outside of uh, the Premier League. And I mean, his saves kept City in it in the first 20 minutes, didn't they? You know, a couple of uh, stunning uh, yeah, efforts to keep out uh, goal-bound shots. Being the father of a goalkeeper and the grandfather of a goalkeeper, he, he was outstanding last night. Yeah. I, I really, I really did his reactions, and I think it's, I think it's the confidence he's accumulated from the beginning of the season, and and some of the saves were were top class. They really, really yeah, were. They, just, they did well. Yeah, the, the goal, the, the goal when it came, the first goal. I mean, they sort of, I mean, Dijou was out there helping out as he does. They sort of cleared it, and I don't know whether you recall, but I saw Row, our wing back, full back, whatever you want to call it, it is a full back in a four four two. He just didn't run out and close the man down. But did you think there was a foul just before that ball got played out? Because I think one of their blokes knocked over somebody in the... And we, we almost froze for a minute because it was like they had far too much space before probably one of the shortest men on the field was able to head the ball in, didn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, but the circumstances were that you, there were so many red shirts. If you go back, if you got the video and you played it, there were so many red shirts and the body positions. You know, I, I can pick holes and everything else. So, but you, you know, if, if if in the team tour, you know, Hugel, he, he was playing. You know, he's, he's a lad that's been all over the place, but he, he his header was a magnificent header, and I don't think people play um, touch now what I'm saying is like if, if I'm playing um, for Arsenal Coventry City or Bristol City or whatever you've got to make sure that you can get away from that defender whether it's a split second that yeah. you come on the blind side of him and I think that's what happened the centre half didn't didn't track him and, and then all of a sudden the ball gets whipped in for the second time round and it's a magnificent header. You, you have to acknowledge yeah, it was that. it a good header, wasn't it? It was right down, yeah. right down but in the corner. There was too many red shirts not doing a job. They, yeah. were, all, they were all ball watching. Yeah. And the, the circumstances are then it, it, it was very dangerous and they paid the consequences. Yeah. At half-time, the team went off at half-time and if they'd have been 3-0 down, it wouldn't have been an unfair reflection. But... Even a, 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 a novice like myself, in terms of a technical understanding of the game, you could see that our two wingers, which was the lad Adelakan and Palmer, they weren't offering much support for the defenders. Neither were they offering much from an attacking perspective. I mean, City mustered three shots in the whole game and none of them on target. But would you have made changes at halftime to bolster up the midfield? Because I was disappointed in Chris Martin, who's a player that you probably... No, because he's had a good career so far. But we, we just weren't giving the front men service, although Fan was lively. But the two wingers were leaving Nash and the inexperienced Viner quite exposed in midfield, weren't they? Where we were overrun. Yeah, but it, it, it is a circumstances where the opposition forward uh, defenders, they've got licence to go forward. Yeah. Where, whereas if they if they can go forward, so if I'm playing wide right, and Ron Greenwood used to say to me when I in the latter stages of my career, Gordon, we're going to play you out a little bit wider because you can see all of play and get get your heels white. I said, what do you mean get your heels white, Ron? He says, well, just stand on the line and you can see every part of the football pitch, you know. And and this is what this is what the the modern day wide players that were playing for Bristol City, sometimes that, you know, that you, you, if you stand still, you might get the ball. But if you're always moving, you've got to make sure the quality ball comes through and your first touch has got to be in the top class. Now, I, I, I thought Norwich, that they, they stuttered for about 15 or 20 minutes into the second half. Absolutely right. That was the one period City had where they looked like they were going to maybe get back into it, didn't they? Yeah, because that was the only time Norwich let us in, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it, it, it was. And, and, and in saying that, you know, when you look at the, 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 the ratio of shots at goal, at goal it's, it's, it's not even poultry. It, it's minimalistic. Mm. So, I know you're playing away from home, but you've got to. You've got to get the ball in the attacking third. And, um, and, and at Wimbledon, uh, you know, I revert back. I hope I'm not boring people, but we had to get the ball in the attacking third ASAP. Yeah, we had to get it up there, and I, I, I think this is where people at this moment in, are, are trying to. They're caught between passing and they're put, and they're not getting the the passes. They go square. They go square. That's but right. They don't. They don't hit that They don't hit that di that diagonal or the straight straight ball for for a, a forward to get, 
control and and then bring the midfield players in. Yeah. It's, it, so, but you once Norwich over, over got over that, they just overran Bristol City in the it second was, I mean, it was a practice. It was a practice match. I thought for the second well practice match. They were in control. They were never going to lose that game, although they only had the one goal. And that second goal, when it came 15 minutes to go, again, one of our players went down in the box. And I think he was looking for a cheap foul. He stayed on the ground. The referee let the game go. And then it was a typical striker's goal, probably the sort that you would have scored after the ball was... He drove the ball in hard. It was probably going to be an own goal off Callis's chest. But that's what a player like Hugh Gill's like, isn't it? He's right on the line. To knock it in, I, I think we get a little bit misunderstood with the referees and the linesmen regarding injuries like that. I think if it's a head injury, it is it is important that you stop the game. Yeah, especially with with what has been happening yeah. with uh, people's heading of the ball, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you're on the floor and you're trying to pull yourself up, then the referee and the linesman have got to keep the, the ball going. And, and, and the ball moves, okay, you get the cross in, it was a ricochet off somebody's body, and there, there's Jurgil again, and he, he's just chesting it in, really. Yeah. If, I, I think if he, and it, I think it's a good job that he uh, had had a Christmas pudding. Because <laughs> <laughs> it bounced in off his Christmas pudding. It did, yeah, he didn't know too much about it. But again, a goal like that, you'd have been proud of scoring that because they all count, don't they? I'd take anything, pal. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> now, we, now, Bristol City's record signing, uh, well, they're similar money. You have Famara Diju playing up front. Um, he scored four in his last seven games. Um, he's going to leave uh, on a freebie in the summer because he's not signed a new contract. Um, he seemed to be playing quite lively, a bit of a spring in his step. And do you think it's bad that the club are going to lose their record signing for nothing? apparently, in the summer. And is that is that him being manipulated by his agent saying, look, I'll get you better terms if you don't have to have a signing, don't have, we don't have to pay a fee for you? Yeah, but let's be honest, how much, how much is the agent going to get paid? Yeah. In my lifetime, you count all the moves I had. And the only agent I had was a lady called Mrs. Marjorie Joan Gould. Uh, and I went and I made my decisions and, 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 and Marge, she just followed me all the way around. Pickfords, they, they were removal people like no tomorrow. And the circumstances are that there's too many agents out there. Yeah. Look at, look at Progba. It's like all of a sudden now he was useless. He weren't going anywhere. Who does his talking? His agent. Now he's starting to do his talking on the football pitch. Yeah. And it's, it's all about that individual. It's all about being strong of mind. What yeah. am I going to do with my career? And this, this young man perhaps is, you know, he wants to play well because he might impress another team. But unfortunately for Bristol City, if they lose, and we're talking like millions of pounds here, or uh, and he paid, they, paid million, five and a half, they paid five and a half million quid for him, and he's going to go for yeah, nothing. Uh, yeah, but uh, okay, then so, when somebody's got a, in, in the back, in the back room, then um, somebody has got to look at the contracts that they're signing. Yeah. 
Well, as we said, I think we said when we had our longer chat earlier in the week, there's a lot of players out of contract. There's going to be a lot of footballers out of contract. One player that we had that came on in the closing stages of the game, that's a name you'll be familiar with, um, Naki Wells, prolific goal scorer at every club he's been to. Um, he, he, he came on and he was playing... It was like asking you to play defensive midfield almost, really, because some players, they have a particular style of playing. And when, when you signed a player, when you were a manager, did you sign a player to fit your system or did you sign a player because he happened to be available at a good price? Because with Naki Wells, he's a prolific goal scorer, yeah, and he did, he's done okay, but he just doesn't seem to feature in the manager's plans at the moment consistently yep. and he would score the sort of goals that Hugill got so Hugill was a name that was mentioned for us about a year or so ago and we ended up getting Naki and he'd scored I think 13 goals this time last year for QPR so this time last year he was a leading scorer for them but you know when you've got a striker like that you play to your strengths don't you really you don't play him out of position yeah but with all it's the 2 nil down they're, ch they're chasing the tail and, yeah. and therefore, therefore, you, you've got to you've got to see eleven people. The goalkeeper's done his job; he's kept you in the game. Yeah. But you've, you've you've got to be okay. Then, how many times are you going to get the ball into the box? What are we going to do? Okay, at Wimbledon, we used to have to get forty-four crosses in in ninety minutes and one hundred and twenty-two balls into the attacking third. Now. You, you know, you might have somebody sat on the sat in the dugout and thinking, oh, if I get on, I, I want the ball there. I, but that's not been transmitted through to defenders saying, look, put it in the channel. So what yeah. what do we mean when we put it in the channel? It's curving it. So I'm leading. I'm going to the ball. My centre half's chasing me. Now I've got to bring it into control. Then I bring my midfield players in, and yeah. we are then advanced. Yeah, We're advanced. So if you look at the Norwich goals that they score, the first one comes in, goes back out again. People are not not, not picking up players, gets a goal. And, and then the second one is, is, is out wide again. It's another cross. Yeah. And perhaps this is where Bristol City are not getting the quality of ball into the attacking third. Yeah. No, I think if you said to any City fan who's watched us consistently, that is... That is the fundamental problem. There isn't enough goal-mouth action. Yeah, we seem to lack any real pattern of play. And, you know, it, it's a worrying time at the moment. I mean, we're poised right in the middle of the table. Despite losing last night, we didn't move up. We didn't, well, obviously, we didn't move up. We didn't move down either. But the next uh, phase of the season is, uh, is going to be critical. Bob, um, look, we, we had a great session earlier this week where we talked about your career and Bristol City's part in that. Thanks for sparing the time this morning to uh, talk us through the game last night. I, I won't ask you to do that again. <laughs> Certainly not unless it's on Sky. Oh, you can tell me about that in a minute. But welcome to Ever, Forever Bristol City podcast. Bobby Gould, good morning to you. Good morning, Dave. Nice to see you. Good to see you as well. Well, look, there's so much to talk about here. Um, let's go back to your playing career right at the beginning. When did you realise that you were going to be destined for a career in football? <laughs> when, when Billy Thrift, the, uh, the first manager of Coventry City, when I was, uh, I was, I left school at 15, 
So that would be 1961. And um, I went for a trial at Coventry City. And after the, after about six six to ten weeks, he said, uh, we don't think you're going to be good enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I don't think you're quick enough. Oh, I says, oh, thank you very much. So I, I left and I went and got a job in Coventry as a, an apprentice um, heating and ventilating engineer. And, and after that, I played local football. Um, and Billy Fifth, the manager, got the sack because Coventry City lost against Kings Lynn in the FA Cup first round. And Derek Robbins of Banbury Buildings went and got a manager called Jimmy Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Hill looked at all the records of players that had been to the club and everything else. Anyway, so he decided to invite all the local boys back, which included me. So he said, um, uh, so we, I, I played in a trial on a Sunday morning. He said, I'd like you to come back this afternoon. I says, I'm not coming back this afternoon, Mr. Hill. He says, will you come back next Sunday? I said, yes, Mr. Hill, I'll come back next Sunday. Anyway, I went back next Sunday, played well, scored a few goals in this practice match. And he came up, he says, I'm going to sign you as an apprentice professional. But first of all, you have to tell me why you didn't come last week. I says, well, it's like this, Mr. Hill. My father, Roy Gould, is in hospital and he's losing his eyes, uh, eyesight. He's, he's going to go blind. And I want to see him every Sunday because that's the only opportunity. And that was what drove me on. My father going blind and knowing that his son was going to get the opportunity to play for Coventry City. Fantastic. And that was his, that was your dad's club as well, was it? Coventry City, because that's your neck of the woods. <laughs> yes, it was, but he, he didn't go, he, he, he wasn't allowed up by my mum. And, uh, and my granddad used to take me and my granddad, Dickie Gould, had, had a brother called Harry Gould and we used to take a pigeon in a bag every game. And every, after every game finished, we set this pigeon off and it went back to Uncle Harry, who, who, who had pigeons. And we'd put the score in the ring of that pigeon's foot because he, he, he wanted the score before BBC Radio. <laughs> yeah, and before online betting then as well, I would imagine, as well. <laughs> so, so, so that was me going to Coventry City. That was, and, uh, uh, Coventry. Now, when you, you mentioned Jimmy Hill who had an illustrious, uh, well, he raised the minimum, got the uh, revocation of the minimum wage in football, and then he went on to enjoy uh, a career in, uh, in, in the media. But one of his coaches there was somebody who, when we talk about your time at Bristol City, was a young, very young, Alan Dix. What were your first recollections of uh, Alan? Because he's about 10 years older than you, isn't he? Yeah, well, the, the circumstances were that um, J.H. and uh, Jimmy Hill uh, had met Alan on the coaching courses and he thought he was a, he'd be an up-and-coming young coach and everything. So he signed Alan Dix for Coventry City. Um, I was playing like in the um, A team and, and the B team uh, at the reserves and Alan actually played in the reserve team. So he would see what players he'd got and how far we, we were going to go, what our temperament was like on the pitch and off the pitch. So Alan, Alan did a marvellous, marvellous job. And if you look back over the history of Jimmy Hill, where the amount of local lads that were successful, um, was it, it was all all down to Alan Dix and the, the, and the coaching staff lower, lower down. Yeah, and I mean, you remember uh, looking at your time at Coventry, that very successful Coventry team that got... To the first division for the first time in the club's history, I think it was, yes, and stayed for about 30 odd years. So that must have been, uh, 
one of your first major achievements, getting promotion, what, probably more than once in your time, yes, I would imagine, yes? Um, I would go along with that, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy Hill was brilliant. He, he, had, a, he had a formidable way of, of managing. He'd been like chairman of the PFA, the Professional Footballers Association, and he'd learned and his, his love of the game, his passion of the game. And one game we, got, we were playing against Ipswich, it was a top-of-the-table clash on a Friday night, and he walked in the dressing room and he walked straight over to me, David, and he pointed at me and he said, you, young man, you, young man, are going to score a hat-trick. So he turned around and walked, and that's all he said, that was his team talk. He walked out, and all the lads were going, oh, it's up to you, Goldie, it's up to you, Goldie. I said, I'm the baby, I'm the baby. Anyway, so, after, and it was a time when Jimmy Hill had put a scoreboard behind the goal, an electric scoreboard, and after 27 minutes on this scoreboard was 999. And I just actually, in, within 27 minutes, scored a hat-trick. You had scored and, a hat-trick in a, in a well, a second, old second division game that would have been then. But then, yeah. You're, you're, now, not long after that promotion that Coventry uh, got, Alan Dix went off to Bristol City. So we come on to your time at Bristol City. But 42, 40 goals in 82 appearances for Coventry over your time there. I'm guessing that's what attracted Arsenal to go and play for the Gunners up in North London. That must have been a big move for you because Coventry lad going away from home for the first time. Yeah, it, it was it was some magical move, you know. And I had a history, um, David, of scoring goal against uh, Arsenal. I scored against them at Highbury in the first game we'd ever played there. I scored against them at Coventry City. And um, Bertie Mee and uh, Don Howe were in charge at that time. And they purchased me for £90,000. <laughs> a lot of money in those days, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, but at that day, uh, in that time, though, David, uh, players got 5%. So I actually picked up £4,500. A lot of money, a lot of money in those days. A lot, lot, of, lot of money, a really lot of money, David. I've got to say that, and I, I had, a, I had a good start, but I, I felt it fell away at Arsenal. I've got to say that. It, it oh, really that because they were building at the time their double, you know, because they went on to do the double a year or so after you left. Why, why, why did it fall away there? Is it just the way things go? It was, it was about. I, I had about two years there, to be perfectly honest, yeah. and. Uh, um, and Don Howe was in a situation of being, be, being the new coach there, um, and he, he was it, it was pressurising the back 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 four defenders, and I was only 21, 22, David, and I didn't have that stamina. Yeah. I didn't I didn't have that stamina at that tender age, you know, really. And I, no, I, and that, I, so I, would you call that playing a high press game, like is often said now? Then, yeah. Oh, very much so. It was Don Howe that first started the high press. He, he, he wanted to, because he was a defender, he was a right back when he was at West Brom, and, we, and you had to close down. And I couldn't put then, when I was at Coventry, I used to play, I never came into our, in, into our, into our half, into the defending half. And I just scored goals. I loved playing in the 18-yard box, David. That's, that's where I scored the majority of my goals. Yeah, got it. So Arsenal, again, good goal-scoring record, but then you returned to the Midlands for spells with uh, Wolves and West uh, Brom, your first spell with Wolves. I mean, again, two relatively quick transfers back-to-back. Yes, what, 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 what was that? What, what uh, Do you remember that time? 
I wanted to be a number one. I, want, I wasn't happy. I, t I scored, I played games in the reserve team at Arsenal. They, they were num numerous. And there was a lot of managers coming off, uh, looking at me and saying, oh, there was a possibility of going Ipswich here, there and everywhere. And then Bill McGarry, um, he, he came to watch me at a, a game against Peter in the reserves. And it was at a time when, like these days, the players don't have long sleeves. So and, and, and in, when we played them, we had long sleeves. I rolled my sleeve sleeves up in the reserves and he, he he walked out of the ground and he says i'm gonna have him i'm gonna have that gordy because he rolls his sleeves up in the reserves <laughs> and, uh, and when we went up for the first introduction to sign the contract he, he took me out on he took me out onto the pitch at molyneux and he, he he took me into the attacking half and he says i never want to see you in our half and i said mr mcgarry that is music that is music to That's my ears. yeah yeah yeah, and, and he got that. We had a we had a tremendous rapport. You had David Wagstaff, Mickey Bailey, you, you, Kenny Hibbert, you, and 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 what we did, and Derek Dugan. I played off Derek Dugan, and Dugan used to just knock them down. And this, the eighteen yard box was my was my territory. I loved it in there. Well, well, I, I you were a poacher in the literal, yeah. in the literal sense of the word. But then it was Don Howe, I think, that took you across to uh, West Brom. So. Was that more that Don wanted you because you were enjoying life at Wolves by the sound of it? Was it that Don wanted you? Yeah, but they had a fella called John Richards coming through. Oh, of course, yes, yes. Yeah. I was going to say he was he was the bright up-and-coming young player yeah. at that time. So, yeah. And, and Mr. McG Mr. McGarry says, look, Goldie, he says, I'm going to sell you to West Brom because I'm going to get my money back. Uh, that he paid for, we got 60 grand. And I went to Don Howe and the first question I said, I said, Mr. Howe, why do you want to sign me? Because you didn't think I was very good at Arsenal. He says, I love you in the dressing room. He says, you're brilliant in the dressing room. I says, as a, as a, as a non-player, he says, no, no, no. He says, I want you to play, he says, because we, I want somebody to play off Jeff Astle. So that was the next movement, you see. Uh, it watched me at Wolves, it seen me, it put my progression, and therefore we, we had a big Jeff Astle wanted to... And West Brom had a good team in those... Well, they, they were an exciting team. I'm trying to think, was it John Osborne in goal, people like that? Clive yeah. Clark yeah. on the wing, those sorts yeah. of... Yeah, Bobby, Bobby Hope. Bobby, Bobby Hope, Hope, yeah. yeah. As, there's and, many, there's many a player. Was Tony Brown playing for West Brom in those days, or...? Coming through, yeah, we, we, yeah, that was Bomber. We called him Bomber Brown because he, he was he, he could he could get from box to box, not like me. I couldn't get from eighteen yard box to the byline. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we had a no. Uh, I had a, a short. I had a short period there at Arsenal because uh, at, uh, at West Brom, West Brom. because uh, it, it was something that Don I went and bought another centre forward in and. Uh, and then Alan Dix came for me and um, w w I said to Marge, I said, I'd like to go with my wife. She, my wife, Marjorie, has been fantastic. Yeah. She's followed us the length and breadth. And I said, oh, we're off, up and off and she'd sell, we'd sell the house and we'd move into another house. There we are. Yeah. And so Alan Dix came. So when he, because you came literally a week after he'd sold John Galley, who'd been top scorer, for a number of years, John Galley. So did you, how did Alan Dix's interest first manifest itself for you? Did he go to your manager, Don, and say, I want to take Bobby down to Bristol? How did that come about? Yeah, well, I, I think that was a situation of, of, of the manager looking at me and, and Don Aaron. And if I was going to be in, a, I didn't want to be a reserve team. I wanted to be in the first team. And 
uh, Alan and I, we got on really, really well at Coventry, and I wanted to make sure I'd come to, so, come to somebody that would recognise what my ability was and where, where I wanted to play. And, uh, yeah. and, that, and that was, I was the top um, player regarding a, a financial aspect of uh, coming to, to Bristol City for £80,000, which is a, a gigantic trick. That's a lot of money for that club and still quite a big transfer in those days. Now, you play the City from December 72 till November 73. Again, keeping up your goal-scoring record that through your career was at the very least one in three, sometimes a better ratio than that. 35 appearances, 15 goals. Now, I've got a note here. We talk, When we talked last week, I say you weren't here very long. I worked with Bristol City very long, but it was eventful, to say the least. Yeah, and We talked last week about one match where you scored the equalising goal against Pompey, uh, FA Cup third round, 1973, that was. Yeah, And you remembered that because you told me something that you know any fan would be interested in, that you kept a record of every game that you played in and Pompey or Fratton Park had specific memories for you, didn't it? Yes? Yeah, as a, as a youngster at Coventry um, City in the football combination, I went there, scored my first ever goal there, went there as a, a, a player uh, for Coventry City in the first first team, scored my first team goal every um, there at, at Fratton Park. And then it, it continued on after that, David, and I scored my first penalty ever, ever at Fratton Park. It's, it's, it's incredulous, it really, really is, to have had such a record at Fratton Park. Yeah, lucky, lucky ground for you. Now, I've got here three matches, right? This is looking through my Bristol City book. Um, one match, it says 6th of Jan, 73, and it's a one-line. A home game against Swindon. You scored, but in the Bristol City history, it says you also gave the team talk that day. Now, is that true or, or, or not? And that, that's sort of stretching the mind back a little bit. <laughs> I think somebody's stretching that a little let's bit. Not, because... Let's not move right. But the next one, which I can remember this, because I can remember I was sitting in the Dolman stand, and this was about, well, about one and a half months later. Home game against Brighton, right? You won 3-1, but you had a little bit of a contretemps with uh, a certain Gerard Gow, didn't you? Yes, you got taken off after that. And if I recall correctly, you were both walking away from the penalty area, up the open end, and something happened in the D. And I think it was... A, I, I, it's ridiculous. I can remember stuff from that time back. And I can't remember what happened two weeks ago, but you had a little bit of a contretemps with Mr Gow, didn't you? Well, yeah, Jerry was a very um, aggressive type of player. He wanted to win. I, I respected that attitude. And, but we clashed, yeah. We, like everybody does, you have a clash with somebody at work. We were no different. The only difference was there was like 15 or 20,000 people looking at us. <laughs> and, and, and there's much to say, you know, like, like he was a young upstart, you know, and I was trying yeah. to put him in his place. I was yeah. trying to educate him. He was a great competitor. I loved his attitude and everything else. But, you know, sometimes, you know, that communication just does does break down. But we all <laughs> we all stood up at the end of it and said, OK, well done, let's get on. And, well, you carried and on game. after that. You carried on. And I've also got another one towards the end of your time here against one of your former clubs. Home game against West Brom. You scored, but you actually had to go in goal because Ray Cashley was injured. That must have been... Uh, uh, an experience for you? 
it it was it was but in the latter stages of of your life as you as you come to analyze it david i then realized and it could be a record if if if, I, if my my grandson matthew Gould can achieve it because i went in goal against uh, 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 in goal against west bromwich albion my, my my son jonathan became a goalkeeper yeah um, played in the in the league all we want now is matthew matthew gould to play make a league game and that's right really... he plays for spennymore i think if i read correctly is that right that's yeah. correct yeah he's down at, he's down at Alt matty i call him matty moose matty moose at altringham at the moment you know but it's really difficult for the uh, non-league teams as we see non-league but it, it that is the opportunity of of me and jonathan and matthew creating a, a history record of three players uh, who have played in goal. <laughs> <laughs> so it runs in the family, sort of. So your Bristol yeah. City career came to an end and it was another high, highly regarded club, West Ham United. What what happened there? Was it that things at Bristol weren't going as well as you would have liked when <laughs> West Ham came knocking because you were a recognised goal scorer at that time? Yeah, um, there was a situation with between Alan and I and I, I'd grown up a little bit I, I I I I spoke what I I saw about and everything else, and it, it just wasn't right that Alan and I were were together. And yeah. the circumstances were that I sent in a. It's the first time I ever I applied for for a transfer. It was a written uh, application, um, and it was after a certain incident that happened at Hull City, which which uh, you know it, a lot of players at that time realised and knew what happened. And I was disappointed in the in the professionalism, so I said to Alan, I said I want to leave the club and I want to go, and and, and that was it. Uh, um, the circumstances were then that uh, uh, I was um, going to go on the transfer list, and that's what happened. There was, there was a, and, and and between Alan and myself, we, unfortunately, we we've never re readdressed that because. We did have one um, one period. Was it, just that, it was just that one incident, and was that just a clash of style, or you, you use the term professionalism? Yeah, I, 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 expand it, on that. But was it just a difference of opinion, and or it's a difference of difference of opinion, and me saying I I, I can't accept that. Uh, I was like getting on for twenty eight years of age, and I've been in a professional since I was 17, 18. I yeah. had ten years, and I wanted to I wanted to be in a situation where at the end of my life or end of my football career, I, I said I wish I'd have done it. And this and that application was something that I'd, I'd only done once, and and it was at Bristol City. Yeah, got it. And the chairman back in those days was Harry Dolman. I mean, these sort of things, chairman were much more involved on a day-to-day -day basis. He must have thought, "What the hell's going on with?" I'll call it our record signing. Yeah, did he ever get involved in that at all, or not really? No, not not not, re not really, because it was. A, it was very short and sweet, really. There was a lot. Of Norwich came for me, um, and they were in a situation of uh, second. They came for me. I travelled all the way through back to um, Norwich one night. Got there at one o'clock in the morning. The manager met me at one o'clock in the morning, and he was in a situation of, uh, you know, they they. We, he talked to me, and I was due to go to Norwich. He his the Norwich football team got beat that. Um, uh, that Saturday and on the Sunday morning the chairman phoned up and he said we'd like to keep we want you to come to Notts County I'm sorry Norwich and I said I'm I'm not quite sure at this moment because I I, I wanted a I want a manager that I know who's going to select me 
anyway, it, it all turned out that uh, I didn't go to, to Norwich. And a team called West Ham United came. And once Alan Dick said West Ham are interested in I you said, were there like I'm a, going there. You were there like a shot. And I guess in those days, would Jeff Hurst would still have been there, wouldn't he? Is that... No, no. Hurst, 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 he went. It, 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 was, it was really in a situation of um, West Ham coming in. And, and for Bobby Gould, to be perfectly honest, David, going to West Ham was sacrilege. Yeah, I, I I was never a, a, a technical ball player. I was aggressive. I was competitive. I I, I, I lived in the six yard box. I lived in the eighteen yard box, and the, the circumstances there, you know, like me going me, and I I I I was told by by Shankly I couldn't even clap a bag of cement, and yeah. that was attitude too towards me. But I went to West Ham and. Was that John Lyle? Was John Lyle manager back in those days? No, no, it was Ron Greenwood. Ron Greenwood and John Lyle. John Lyle took over after about 18 months, two years, but Ron Greenwood was always in the background there. But if I'd have gone to instead, if I'd have gone to West Ham and West Ham did have in, uh, want me in, uh, like before I went to Arsenal, if I'd have played for West Ham then, I would have played for England because their, their type of training was phenomenal. Yeah. One touch yeah. football, two touch football, and they talk about heading the ball now and how dangerous it is. And like we always used to play at West Ham in five sides or, or games, two touch below head height, below and head height, was, which is a conventional way of playing five sides. Yeah. that's right. So that was a good. That was a good. Would you say that was a good period for you at West Ham? You enjoyed it. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the unfortunate thing in 1973, if anybody, if you can remember that, but but the house house market fell apart, fell apart. Uh, we were I was living leaving here at Porter's Head. Uh, I lived I lived in a place called River Lees, and at three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, I was getting out of bed, David, and I was driving all the way up to London. Yeah. So it was not. It wasn't sustainable. So the chance no. came of a move back for your second spell. But Wolves, which again, although relatively short, it was quite successful. You know, 13 goals, 34 games. Were there many of your former teammates still playing there? Um, no. Uh, John Richards was coming through. There was Alan Sunderland. There was Steve Daly. The, um, we, there was about, and Stevie Kinder. There was about five of us um, with Sammy Chung be, replacing um, Bill McGarry. Uh, and there was five of us before Christmas all got double figures. We were an attacking team, you know, and yeah. it was it was it was phenomenal. We had um, we got promotion, we got back promotion, but I I I was getting a little bit tender age then, and I was doing a lot of travelling in the car, and I, I did a hamstring, and the hamstring was a was a, a long job to be perfectly honest. Was that a tear? Was that a tear? A proper tear? Yeah, yeah, it was a bad tear. But we we you know the. The hospitals weren't as as clever as what they are these days, you know, when the, with the hamstrings, with the calves and everything else. So I just suffered a little bit with, with that situation. But it was a wonderful time to be with, with with all those attacking players and scoring all those goals. It was quite But it, all during this time, you kept your hat. Well, you kept your house. You, you were living in Portishead. So Bristol Rovers... Uh, came knocking in 1977, 77-78 uh, season. Uh, was that that they knew that your career was sort of in its in its twilight time as a player and that you were local and you... Was it Terry there as manager at the time? No, that's well before his time. Or what, who, who brought you to Bristol Rovers? How did that come about? 
Uh, I was in a situation of uh, it was Don Mexon. Don Mexon, yeah, yeah. And Don Mex Don Mexon was in in. Uh, I, I went to Don and I said, "Look, Don, I'm, I'm playing for West Ham." I says, "I can't do all this travelling five four o'clock in the morning." Bam, bang, bang. He says, "Go." He says, "Come and drive. Uh, come and." Come and train here. So I went and trained with Bristol Rovers. So when you're at West Ham, you were training with Rovers. Yeah, yes, I get it. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. So I'd go, I'd go up on a Monday, come back home on a Wednesday, and then uh, uh, train on a uh, Thursday, um, then go up to London on a Friday and play, and then go home. So it was a lot of travelling. And during that time, like um, I was in the situation of, of, of en enjoying the, the training with, with Don Mexon. Yeah. So when... It, so when it came about that Don Mexon wanted an old age centre forward, he, 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 he bought me from um, Wolverhampton Wonders. Wolves. It was an it was a logical move for you. And again, thirty six games, twelve goals. Again, excellent scoring record. And you finished your playing career after a short period abroad. You finished your playing career though at Hereford United. I mean, was it one game where you felt enough is enough? You know, what's it like when you you know, it's a bit like Chris Brunt with uh, City. You know, we signed him on loan from West Brom, 36 years old. And most City fans were really excited at the thought of Chris Brunt coming. But either his legs had gone or he didn't fit in. But did you get to a stage one day or was it over time you thought enough is enough? I've done a lot of travelling. I've done a lot of moving. Um, I've done... A lot of courses. I went on on all, all my courses with the, the football association, the, the FIFA, and everybody. And it came to a, 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 on one of those. I met a gentleman called Jeff Hurst. Uh, Jeff Hurst was in a, a position where he was coming towards the end of his career, and, and we got to know each other really well. And I used to go up to him and I used to say. I'll clean your boots, Jeff, if you want. So I'm 36 years of age, you know, and I'm saying to Jeff, I'll clean your boots for you, Jeff, if you want. I said, I said what, what, what else do you want me to do? Do you want me to do this? I was his, his black boy. I really was, because there, there was this great centre-forward uh, hat-trick in the, in the World Cup, and I was buttering up to him. There was no, you know, there we were. We had a great, great re um, relationship. I went to I went to Hereford with Mike Bailey. It was at Wolverhampton. Ex Wolverhampton, yeah, yeah. He he was the manager. I was the number two, and then all of a sudden, uh, Jeff. Uh, I went in one day at Hereford at Edgar Street, and the the young lady before behind reception says, "Oh, there's a, a gentleman who'd been on the first. I said, "Who is it?" She said, "Oh, Jeff first. I said, "Get hold of him. Get him straight back." He <laughs> said. So we got him, I, I phoned back to Jeff and he says, Goldie, he says, um, what's it like at Hereford? He says, I said, I've enjoyed it. He says, what about trying Chelsea as assistant manager? I says, I'm in the car and I'm coming. <laughs> so it was, it was really a case that you were playing for, you were playing for Hereford, but he, he, and you were still playing, but he said, hang up your boots now and come and be my assistant. And did you play any reserve games for Chelsea or anything like that during that period in the same way that yeah. Alan Vicks had done under uh, Jimmy Hill? Um, yeah, I played, I played at Ipswich once and they were starting to play this possession football, David. Right. Where, they, where the goalkeeper gets the ball, he throws it to the right back, the right back passes to the centre half, the centre half passes it to the next centre half and the next centre half passes it to the full back. And I was the centre forward, I'm going, get that Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get that bloody, <laughs> get that bloody ball up here. 
Yeah. Just get it, get it to Pia. And there's a lad called Brian Eastick. And we go back now to 1981. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's been good for the game or not, but I couldn't, I couldn't play like that these days, you know. No. And, and and having three strikers and the three strikers, it's really difficult for them. There's no natural width. Yeah. You don't have wingers. You don't have people getting. And Ron Greenwood just said to me in my latter stages, he says, "Gordy, get your heels white." And he, and and if you can remember that back, they used to have these whip crosses. Uh, Harry Redknapp uh, used to be in there, and Johnny Sissons. And at West Ham, they used to whip these balls across. But these days, there are insufficient players in insufficient positions trying to score goals. Yeah, and I, I see. I see. I see all the records of how many shots at goal, and they're poultry. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I am in a situation where I, I, I really am disappointed with the quality of the of the balls that are going into the penalty area. Yeah. No. Well, that, we'll talk about the modern game in a moment. But we've come to. Uh, I'm just going to pause the uh, recording here so we don't have one big file. So nothing's going to. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. So when you were uh, assistant manager to, uh, to to Jeff at Chelsea, were you still keeping your uh, residence down in Portishead or weekly commuting? No, no. What happened was that um, you, with the opportunity that Jeff Hurst was giving me, that we we went to live in Camberley. Um, my two sons were at Bristol Grammar. They went to Bristol Grammar, um, and they we, they then went to a school, uh, uh, grammar school, and uh, in the London area. And uh, that, so we went lock, stock, and barrel. And that's the first time ever since you know since since I've gone to Bristol City yeah. um, in the early days. So it was commuting. I was the number two to Jeff first. Uh, I, I actually had a club car, which was really nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd been I'd been doing all those miles and uh, under my own steam and everything. So we went up to Camberley in Surrey, and uh, well, I, I was number two to Jeff, and it was it was just uh, a really great great learning curve. To be perfectly great honest. learning curve. But uh, Jeff, Jeff moved on. You took caretaker for a couple of games, but then uh, later that uh, later that year, you were then back your first managerial job as number one with the gas, as they're known down here. Was that because you were a known quantity and you moved back down, or were you in Camberley and? Yeah, well. <laughs> Well, it was, a, it was an opportunity for us to come back. We knew the area. Bristol Rovers came in for me. Um, I was in the situation of thinking I've, I've, learned, I've learned a great deal under the uh, jurisdiction of some great people, great managers. Uh, you have your ups, you have your downs. And it was a situation that Bristol Rovers wanted me and I, I just wanted to, to become a manager. And that, and that was what my op my so who did you take was... who did you take over from at uh, rovers in those days then when you went in the first time yeah well, when the first time the first time i came in yeah i i was i, I came in and um we were still then at uh, eastville and yeah. we were at the training ground as well so it was all. It was. It was there for me. The opportunity, and we we took it. And as a family, and we came back once again to um, to Portishead. We bought a wonderful house. My wife Marjorie says, "That's it." I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "That's it." I said, "What do you mean that's it?" She says, "We're going to call this house Evermore." Yeah. And we are never, ever, ever going to move again. So and is that where you still are now? Then to this day? Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She'd done enough travelling. So you, you, you were at, you were at Rovers. It must that was a bit of a come down compared to uh, Chelsea. I would say I would say that as a City fan, wouldn't I? But uh, you then, I guess, when Coventry came uh, knocking, that was too good an opportunity to turn down, was it? Being your boyhood club to go back there. It was all my it was all my love. It was all my passion. My mum and dad were still alive then, and. Uh, I decided I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back. Unfortunate thing there, once again, we uh, our boys' education at Bristol Grammar was Jonathan and Richard was phenomenal. And Marjorie says the boys are not leaving uh, Bristol School. So I said, well, I can commute. I can stay with mum and dad and everything else. So, so that was the understanding that uh, we were remaining in, in Portishead and the boys would go to their school. They'd done enough moving about, David. And we were going to wanted to make them more stabilised. Yeah, yeah, but you had. To, I mean, how would you rate your time at Coventry? I mean, you had. Uh, they've got here where I'm reading this. You achieved a notable four-one, four-nil win over Liverpool. So that must have given you a lot of satisfaction. When I guess Dalglish would have been in charge then, or is that before? No, as uh, long before his time, mid '80s. That would have been Fagan or somebody like that, wouldn't it? When uh... I signed Terry Gibson, I, I, I was um, because of all the games that I'd attended, I'd always kept it. You know, like. Like all my all my um, opportunities of, to play in it, I loved everything. I loved everything. I like and Terry Gibson. I went and paid t- Terry Gibson from Tottenham Hotspur, and he came in. Uh, t- little Terry Gibson came in. He was brilliant. After yeah. that, he, everywhere I went, Terry Gibson was going, and, and that, that, that was our under- that was my understanding with him. And I, I, I had an opportunity to select the players that I wanted to. Prior to that, David, I, I, I had to recommend players. And yeah. When I started, and I, I, I took a lad called Trevor Peak from Lincoln, and I, I took a fellow called uh, Sam Allardyce as well, and they, and all these players that I I saw on my way, and I thought if if I wanted to play four four two and play that system, then they would they would suit it, and that's what happened. We, we I, they all blended in very well. Big, big Sam or what have you. So you came back, so finished with the, finished with Coventry, came back to Bristol Rovers, yeah, which I guess was suited all parties, but you were off again for what is probably your most successful and uh, renowned period with the, the crazy gang up at Wimbledon. How did that, how did that one, uh, how did that move come about? Well, I haven't. I haven't said like between leaving Chelsea and then going to Bristol, uh, Bristol Rovers. I actually was. Um, I contacted Dave Bassett. I said because we had a great relationship being with Chelsea and Wimbledon, and yeah. I knew Dave Bassett. I said, Dave, can I come and train with you? And he says, Yeah, of course you can, Goldie. So I went and trained with them, and he actually said, Oh, I'd like to play in reserves. We've got a few games. So I'm 33, 34. So I started play with the, the Wimbledon lads. Um, and we and I travelled about. And it, I got a suntan, and, and the lads thought David brought me in to be like a mole in the dressing room. <laughs> so I got a suntan I, and they called me Morocco Mole. As I, I, so, <laughs> I never signed a contract. I just I just got paid on a Thursday and, and that was Wimbledon. But I got to know Wimbledon and the lads and everything else. And, and I think Sam and Mann saw me actually play in a lot of games at, at, at Wimbledon in the reserves and, and Richardson Evans, the training ground. And, 
And he uh, once once Dave Bassett moved to Watford, he made um, Summer Man made a quick move for me. And so uh, he came in for you because he thought you understand the psyche of the club. We know yeah. you. We know what your yeah. values are. Dave Bassett yeah. had gone on. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave Dave left. Uh, which is a surprise, really, because you know you were they they were already uh, you, they were they'd already got to the first division when you were there, weren't they? Yes, from that point of view. Yeah, they yeah they were they, they, they were in the first division, you know, and, and and I think Dave Sam was was a handful as a he was an owner. He was not Sam just a man. Chairman. Yes, Sam a he man. Was an, he was an owner, and he was going to let you know after my first game um, in in charge at. at um, Wimbledon, he, he called, he summoned me to his office in London and he, made, he kept me for two hours outside. And I'm the manager and I'm thinking I should be training. And he said, and I, when I went in to see Sam Amani, he threw, satted his programme at me and I, I picked it up. He said, read that programme. He said, read page three. So I was reading, that was my programme notes. And he said, yeah. I said, I said, oh, and my team will do that. And he'd underlined my team. He says, for all your stay here, you will never, ever, ever say it is your team. It is my team, and oh. I paid all the money. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, FA Cup, that FA Cup run, um, when you took them there, 1988, I mean, sometimes they say with the FA Cup, you know the Cup's got your name on it. Yeah, well... Did you ever feel that? And then you must have gone for that match against Liverpool with a lot of trepidation. Or were you so much the underdogs that you had nothing to lose? So you just played in 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 that way, in that mindset. No, well, when I was at Wimbledon, Dave Bassett took all the staff with him, so I was left um, without any staff. So there was a, a gentleman called Don Howe, just been sacked by England. And it was like asking Miss uh, World to dance, you know? <laughs> so I, I phoned up Don. I said, Don, would you like to come and uh, join me at Wimbledon? He said, Gordy, he said, I'll come and have a, I'll have four weeks with you and I'll see whether I like it. So he, 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 was, he came and joined us. And it was Don's time of, of not being pressurised, of being a manager, but just a coach. And he was a fantastic, fantastic coach. And the lads loved him. You know, they, you know, there's Don Howe, there's Wimbledon kicking the long ball, and he mastered it. He knew what everything was, you know, we were going to do, and and that was the opportunity for him to step back and, and and Don do the coaching, and we had a wonderful relationship. So, so although he was, although you could argue with Don Howe that, well, he was a very sophisticated coach, and he was a an advocate of the high press. He was able to finesse what Wimbledon were doing with their long ball style. He was just able to make that style work even better. Is that what you're saying? If I interrupt? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but not only that, like so so we have a wonderful run in the FA Cup and we get to the final um, and the, the, 48 hours before the final, we pick the team and he comes in on the Friday morning. He says, Gordy, he says, we haven't got it right. I said, what do you mean we haven't got it right? He says, well, they've got John Barnes at Liverpool and he's playing out of his skin. And we've got Alan Cork in, in that wide right position. He says, what we're going to do is going to change Alan Cork to wide left and Dennis Wise to wide, wide right. And every time Liverpool look up, all, all they'll say is John Barnes squeezed between, between Dennis Wise and Clive Goodyear. And they couldn't get the ball to him. 
Yeah. And nobody's ever nobody's ever picked it up really. And he and and John Barnes didn't have the ball that he was getting every Saturday prior to that, you know. And and that was one of the advantages. And and Dennis Wise that year, eighty four percent of our goals were conceded were scored by um, dead ball free kicks, and we worked and worked at them, David. And 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 that's what did us you know we 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 stuck to this regime and it was only come to breathe on 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 the friday uh, but that was that my relationship with don and and the lads understanding it uh, and we achieved what nobody said we were going to ever do when well, you had to... some you had some characters in that side didn't you, you mentioned one dennis wise but uh, i guess at that time there was a certain vinnie jones playing what was he like as a as a character but vinnie i i took a personal interest in in vincent's life <laughs> uh, I, I always call him. I always call him Vincent, and um, his 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 upper stages of his life when he was um, at home with his mother and father, and you know, the, I, I don't think they were good days for him and his sister. And it's something that uh, you know I got into because I I wanted to know what was what it was all about and how 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 can you handle somebody like Vincent Jones and John Fashionu? I was going to say John Fashionu, yeah, yeah. And uh, Laurie Sanchez, Laurie Sanchez, Dave Bassett, uh, 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 Besson. Dave Besson, yeah. Yeah, and you had all these players and they were, they were a, a moulding and you, you had to give them the respect that they earned and everything. And it, it, it worked well for us, to be perfectly honest, David. Yeah, and, and Vinnie Jones, he was not, he was a much softer character than he would create the impression of, would you say? Away from it, the pitch? Yeah, but but the circumstances are that somewhere along the line, you you have to understand what is your strength, what are my strengths. If you've got a personality, what are you going to do? But if you're in in a bad situation, how are you going to get out of that bad situation? And that's what we try to help all the lads that, and and the the team that actually won the FA Cup. And we're going back to 1988, David. And Sam and Man and I, uh, we sold that team for 13 million pounds yeah. in 1988. And, you know, OK, we, we brought them through. They got the opportunity in life. And, and you know, Sam Sam saw the money and we took the money. But we re rebuilt again. I, I signed Keith Curl. I signed Terry Phelan. And, and, and th this is something, you know, throughout your, your career, this is what you achieved and, and this is what you did with it. Was Keith Curl, because obviously Keith Curl was at Rovers as a very young player then, City took him, and was it you that took Keith Curl? To, did he go from City to Wimbledon, or was it City to Man City? No, he, then he went to he went to Reading. Right. Terry Cooper. Terry Cooper first started with him, and uh, Terry Cooper because when I was at Bristol Rovers, they used to have ro a, a rose bed at the back of the each goal. They did, um, yes, they did. Yeah, <laughs> and, well, every cross that Keith Curl put in as a as an outside right at number seven, it always ended up in the rose rose bowl. <laughs> so what we and but he had tremendous pace, David. Dave, Keith Curl had tremendous pace, and yeah. and what Terry Cooper did was he he converted him to a fullback and then into a centre half and yeah. when I I, pay, I paid a lot of money for Keith Curl because he got pace and at that time of the of football in, in this country it was all about pace yeah. I, I had Roger Jovis Joseph I, I had I had Keith Curl uh, I, and I, I had Terry Phelan and John Scales do you yeah, know John what? Scales expressed the Rovers wasn't he yeah that's right yeah, John they Scales. were the fastest back four in Europe yeah, they could run. 
yeah. and we utilise that as well. So, you know, there's, when you look back over the history of what, what players actually achieved and where they came from, it was going from rosebeds to being a manager now. Yeah, I, I always said with Keith Curl that what he lacked as a defender in the sense of, you know, because he was converted in the early stages of his career, he could make up for with pace, couldn't he? Because, you know, you a defender can be better positioned and not have the pace, whereas Keith, you know, he had that pace to get him out of trouble, I guess, when he's... Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he's, he also, as you get a little bit older, you, you, you know, you your football knowledge becomes a little bit different, you know, and, and it's something that you, you, you tune yourself into and, and all the courses that you go on, your education, the, the things you've done right, the things you've done wrong and everything else, you have to analyse them. And, yeah. You know, like I'm sat up in my little office and if I was to go through all, I'll just showing you that, that this is all going round, this is my office, okay? <laughs> Um, and what I'm trying to do down through lockdown, I, I've got to tidy this all up, and it all goes back. It all goes back to 1958. That's a long. That's a long history. A long, a long <laughs> illustrious history. Show us that book where you recorded every single match. You were showing me that earlier. Just tilt the phone down on there because that that shows dedication. That does every single so, game. Every single game you played. So this is 1962-63. And these are all the games I've played. I've played for Coventry City Reserves, Coventry City A, Coventry City B, Coventry City Youth, Birmingham <laughs> County. I got 44 goals in 41 games. That's very impressive. Very, very <laughs> impressive. And, and, then, and then I make, this is where I make my first team debut at 17 at Gay Meadow. And the 13,619, I drew 0-0. <laughs> Amazing <laughs> stuff. Let's go back. Let's go back to the uh, your transition from club manager into international management. Because after after Wimbledon, you went to uh, back to West Brom, a club that you'd uh, played for, and you had uh, good good success uh, there. Um, you, again with Don Howe, you went back to Coventry, and uh, you had uh, Mick Quinn, I think, playing for you there as well. So good good periods there. When your club management career came to an end, was it because, you know, did, it, 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 is it all about the relationship with the chairman or you were becoming a little bit disillusioned with, with club football? What, was, um, what, was, uh, what, what happened prior to uh, joining the Welsh national team? You know, was it enough for enough or it was a natural <laughs> transition to be an international manager? No, um... I was on Sky. I went and worked for Sky Television, and uh, in my own in my own way, I could be my own self. And I, I used uh, after Andy Gray and Richard Keys on a Monday night. I had a slot there from a, about ten o'clock, um, talking about the game that had been previously played. So, uh, in, in my latter stages, I, I was more in television and everything else and more on Sky and I, I enjoyed it. I had a laugh with Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. We had some giggles. We, we still giggled, the three of us now, you know. Yeah. But the opportunity came from Wales to, I was in the West Indies and somebody, my best mate phoned me up. He says, Gordy, he says, the Wales job's up for grabs. He says, do you want it? Like a lad called Bill Smith. I says, Bill, I says, I'll, I'm on the beach, the sun's shining, it's 75 degrees, and you're asking me if I want a Welsh job. Anyway, so I, 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 I thought about it, I put an application in, 
And then I was interviewed um, over in Cardiff. And I, I, I was, I accepted the job, but being the period that I went through, I was um, not knowledgeable of being an international footballer. That's interesting because that was going to be my next question. What's the big difference between being a club manager and an international manager? The obvious one is there isn't a match every week, but where do you feel that you know it, it didn't work for you or it's different? Um, I was naive. I was naive because I'd never played international football. Uh, it's one of my it was a decision. I look back now and I should have said no, to be perfectly honest. Um, I I lived just across the water. It didn't take long to get to work, but you did, You weren't with the players day in, day out, day in, day out. And that brought the best out of me. You know, and I, I tried to, to bring um, people in but to, to help me, but I was not of international playing knowledge. And therefore, um, it was my the worst decision I ever made. To be perfectly honest, I apologise to the Welsh FA. I apologise to the Welsh, the Welsh, Welsh supporters, to, to the players, and I was I was not right for that position. Yeah, you were okay, but you know it was a fair fair length of time. But you know, it, and you had some interesting players to deal with, didn't you? Mark Hughes, Robbie Savage, John Hartson, but. I guess, had you had John Hartson at Wimbledon or was that well after he'd uh, finished there? No, he, he was he was in and around. and we, we were in a situation when we was at Wimbledon, we used to have um, Dave Bassett started. Like, like if there's any other problems, the, the two players or the management or the, there was a circle formed and there was a, a situation where there's a rest on tumbling to get mm -hmm. rid of the, the anger. Well, I attempted that with uh, John Hartson. Yeah. When I was when I was at Wales, I was at Newport, and you've got uh, all the players. You've got Mark Hughes. You've got you've got Ryan Giggs. You, you've got Gary Speed. You, you you've got all these great international players, and, and they said you're not taking him on. I said yes, I am. And I said he's got to get you out of his system. And, 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 and <laughs> he's a bit bigger than you, though, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so on my back, so was my scratches on my back as well. <laughs> uh, but you know that was part of my education, part part of learning. But um, I, it, if you if you're ever going to become a manager, anybody out there, make sure that you cover the range that you're managing, and that is international football. And uh, it was something of a learning curve that. Uh, That's interesting. So since then, you've you've become more of a, a media person, really, haven't you? I mean, what do you what what do you do to uh, you know to, to pass your day now? Yeah, because we we've talked uh, earlier, uh, well, we talked a couple of weeks ago about you're able to watch football, you know, all day on a Sunday. Yeah, um, are you you know is football still your main occupation or do you just like to relax and turn your back on it a little bit you must miss it surely it, it, it's a four letter it's a four letter word it's love it's yeah. the love of the game um i was given an opportunity some people said i wasn't good enough and uh, it's it, it's been a challenge uh, i've enjoyed that challenge i've enjoyed seeing um, my two sons grow up 
and be successful. And I hope that with Marjorie, my wife, we've been married nearly 53 years now. We got married when we were 20 odd. Uh, and to see my two sons grow up in, they've got great, great positions that they're in. Richard's a CEO of Surrey Cricket Club. Jonathan was a, uh, an international footballer. And, and that's the, the, the love and the passion that this has given me. And if somebody had said to me when I left Caledon Castle School in Coventry in 1951, at 61, you're going to achieve this. You know, I, you, you, you're dreaming, pal. You enjoyed. You enjoyed every minute. I mean, oh, yeah, oh, 440 games, 160 goals. That's better than one. No, no, no. Can, can, can we? Can we? Can we just identify that? It's 189 goals. Right? 189 in all competitions. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't believe on what you see on Wikipedia. Then, from that point of view. All right. No, no. No, that, that's pretty good. I'm just going to pause for a moment. Just bear. Here we go. So. Bob, like you, not been to a live match for nearly uh, a year, but there's plenty of football on television. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that referees, you don't notice them so much on the televised matches. Is that because they're under less pressure from the crowd? Is that something that you've noticed as a, as a professional, that the referees aren't quite so controversial, apparently? I, I that's an interesting thought, David. I haven't thought of that, you know, because because they look more relaxed. But the only difficult thing is is, is what what's happening, like a hundred miles away, or hundred and twenty miles away, hundred and fifty miles away. Somebody's adjudicating what their decision is. Yeah. And well, that's true because that was going to be another thing about referees because VAR is obviously just in the Premier League, and I don't know whether you've watched stuff. If it's Premier League only that you're watching, then you're absolutely right because the decision has gone away from them. But lower level stuff, I mean, I've noticed it watching City, but it's just not quite so. You don't come away from a game saying, oh, God, what the referee rubbish, you know? But you, I mean, you, so talking about VAR, that's a big thing at Premier League, the effect it's made there, because you don't know if the goal's been allowed, do you? You can't celebrate. No, no, you can't celebrate uh, circumstances other because it's going to be a time that it's going to go back, you know, to Stockleys where it's all being authorised. I, I, I would be more interested in, if a player was a, to attend Stockley and be in that area. They've got referees. Why don't they have a player's opinion and everything else and the, with the, where, where the ball's bouncing? Does it hit his hand? Is his hand moving and everything else? I just feel at times that, you know, that, that they've taken that strength away from the referee. And talking about, you know, if you're refereeing and you've got 45,000, 50,000, 60,000 people watching you, just imagine, you know, Manchester United against Liverpool last weekend, and the pressure that you're under and what yeah. you've got to make, you've got, you've got to make those decisions. But didn't you, exactly, didn't you think, I mean, I watched a bit of Man United, Liverpool last week and it wasn't the greatest game to watch. Um but we know, and I didn't have the crowd effects noise on for, for some reason, but that it, it was almost like a practice match. The intensity isn't there for some of them, is it? Would you agree with that view? Yeah, I go, I go along with that, you know. But, but I've got to, what you've got to remember as well, David, is the games, the way they are coming now, as a manager, you would find it really, really 
difficult to get the momentum going. And we're not just talking 16 to 18 players. We're talking to players that are perhaps in the reserve team. What are they doing? What about the youth team? Mm. What about the, the, the backroom staff now? I, I, I can't believe the volume of backroom staff that stand in the dugout. And as soon as, if I'm a player and I've got somebody telling me I'm going to go on with two minutes and this person is saying, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. I, I'd be saying to that person with, 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 all, the, with all the notes, this is my chance, leave me alone. Mm. And instead of going in there and, and trying, trying to get into somebody's brain, they've only got two minutes. I know. Let, and, 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 and to me, I, I think they've got to review situation. I, uh, with, I was, when I went into football management, I phoned up Brian Clough. It took me 85 calls. <laughs> it took me 80, 88 calls for my secretary at Bristol Rovers to get older Brian Clough. And I got hold of Brian Clough after 88 calls. She came running down a corridor. She says, I've got him. I said, Brian, Bobby Gould here. I'm just a young manager. Um, I, I says, what advice would you make? And the line went dead, David. And all of a sudden he said, uh, he said first thing I do, young man, is call me Mr. Clough. <laughs> and the second thing, young man, make sure you get your backroom staff right. And the yeah. phone went down. It, uh, it took me eight years eight years to get the backroom staff from what, what I wanted. To, and that's when we won the FA Cup. And I'm yeah. saying to people now, you cannot control 16 players or 18 players in the first team, 16 or 18 in the reserves, the youth team. And then you've got all this, all these uh, like people trying to in interpret what the team, of, the, what playing Weeks a week you ago, see them, you see them on the touchline just before a player goes out. They've got an iPad there and they're doing all this pointing as to how you should play. And it just no, it's madness. It is madness. It, 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 it is okay. They might people they, you know that they, they listen to this or they see this this interview, they're going to say, What's he on about? I'm telling you that I've been in that dugout. I know that if I want my number two, my number two is Phil Neal or Dono, I just say, You're in charge. I can't see, I've got a mist come down in front of me. And that's what happens when you're a manager sometimes with the pressure. Klopp at the moment has created a horrible problem for himself with penalties and everything else. We never get penalties. Never say anything like that because no. everybody will imply then you're trying to get penalties off referees. And somewhere along the line, people have got to say, I am the manager. Yeah. I, I, I run this. I run this team. They don't run the club, but they run the team. But that's an interesting point you've raised there, that I am the manager, because you talk, um, not you, but in football, you talk about these directors of football that go out and select players and play the market. Did you ever have a chairman tell you to buy or select a player in your career? And if he, if he had done, I'd... Would imagine I would imagine I'd know what you'd say to him. <laughs> Two-letter word, no, no. They, if I was going to buy a player, he had to come up to my standards. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I had a chief scout. Now he would go and I'd say, go and watch him, go and watch him. I want a written report. I want this, and then if it's anything, you and I drive and we'll go and watch him together. Yeah. And that, and that is the art of, you, if you look back, I took Graham Withy 
from Bristol. You, you look at the players I took back, Nicky Platnauer. I Platt took now, them yeah. with me. Yeah. I took them with me because I believed in them, and they had the ability, and they it was an opportunity for for them. And and that is it's what I see, not what you see, David. It's what yeah. I see, yeah. and that's what that's the problem today. I think with purchasing and players, and another one, another thing is. I cannot tolerate the amount of foreign players that are coming into this country. I was well. I was you've preempted because I was going to ask you about that because even when you were a club manager twenty five years ago, the percentage of foreign players would probably be less than fifteen percent. Now in the Premier League, it's probably seventy percent in the Premier League. I would say. And you, you know, I mean, what's your view of football agents? Because you have all these scouting networks in Europe with all the statistics and you've got your little, if you look at most foreign players, they've got a little video clip on YouTube and you can see all the wonderful things that they've done. Do you, do you think agents serve a purpose and would you have ever selected a player? Would we, Well, would you want to be a manager now? That's the key thing because that's... Yeah, but that, it, it, it all depends upon your your standards. If if you've got a player that is on three hundred and fifty thousand pound a week, yeah, three hundred and fifty thousand pound a week, and he is not playing, what is going wrong? What you know? What has happened to Arsenal Football Club, one of the strictest disciplined football clubs with finances that you'd ever ever wished to meet? But it's yeah. now at this moment, it's the directors of football. <sighs> You've got a great job, pal, without pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the, the, the butt doesn't stop at you, does it, from that point of view? What's your view? Talking about managers around today, I mean, and you may have come across him as a player and in his early managerial days, Neil Warnock, he does a job, doesn't he? Would you say he is old school and you can't knock his track record, can you? No, no. Well, Neil was a physiotherapist when he first started his career yeah. and that's where he's, he's come he's come through the ranks that way you know it's the same as it's the same as Don Howe Don, Don Howe was he he wasn't managerial because he didn't under, he didn't enjoy that you know I enjoyed being a manager I was a, a better manager than I was coach and Don Howe was a better coach than he was manager and you know we all throughout the history of our period you know because we, you know, like in in like ten years' time, there'll be a different era out there. It'll be another another design of a football club. Our football club is run. Yeah. You know, we used to have individuals. Derek Robbins that own Coventry City. You know, how many people own a football club now? The amount of foreigners that are coming in to to run Premier League teams and how much are they paying? It's phenom It is phenomenal. It is really phenomenal. But comes everything. It's a, it's a little bag of wind, David, that you blow up and, and you put a case around it and, and you try and put the ball into the back of the net. And that's and all I'm, it's I'm about at the end of the day, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of things just to finish up with. Um, one that you'll know, one of the leading, or uh, uh, well, his family, um, Jeff Assel's family, uh, and dementia in football linked to heading the ball uh, and it's in rugby now I think a couple of players have sort of jumped on that rugby, heading the ball in football is that something that you know 50 years ago the balls were I was going to say like that but do you know what this ball is go on it's my hat-trick ball for Wolverhampton Wanderers 
against Manchester United. <laughs> and I bet that weighed a ton on a wet day in oh, February. Well, nah, oh, well, you're, that's your knowledge and experience. Of, this, is a le- this is a leather football, a real leather football. And it, my, my two sons at the time... They they battered this ball. They battered it backwards and forwards in the and what it does, it absorbs football. It, this football absorbs water. And inside <laughs> it and, 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 and it does, David, it get it gets heavier and heavier. The new lighter ball is different, it's plastic. Yeah. And that's that's what the situ, that's what is. And it's and it is it is it is dangerous because the amount of times that I saw a fella called George Curtis. For Coventry City, Coventry City centre half, yeah, 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 and th- and th- they used to practice heading the ball, heading the ball, heading the ball. I I always lived off Derek Dugan or, or Jeff Astor for knocking knocking balls down. I sometimes I did score headers, but they weren't like in the air, and and they were little knockings. And, and yeah, uh, hope, hopefully I haven't got the dreaded disease that have affected. Well, you, you seem you, you seem pretty coherent. Now, so I'd say you're all right, actually. <laughs> a final question. I mean, look, we've all been locked up, not seeing live football. Um, Post-COVID, uh, I hope, I sincerely hope, we'll be back in the ground by August. I think that's something that we could look forward to. Do you think that's, that's true? and or, or do you think that's a bit being a bit optimistic on my part? I think you might be optimistic, Um my wife and I, uh, I'm 75 in June. My I just just become 74. We just, we just have, you know, we've been living in New Zealand for uh, every... My wife has not had a winter in, in, in UK for, for 14 years. Uh, she's always out to New Zealand. She had four, we have four or five months in New Zealand. We're very lucky we've come home. And I just feel that we have to take each day as it comes, David. And, 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 and unfortunately, I don't think people are really evaluate, evaluating what is happening. What is happening? We have to tread carefully. Mm. And you, some of the some of the you know the news programs that we see the the horrible situations of losing loved ones and everything else. I, I don't want to be a preacher, but I'm just saying, do the right thing. Yeah, and if if we do the right thing, then you know we we will we'll learn to understand something somewhere along the line, and and at the same time, you know, with football, it will be recharged, and will will it come next August, David? Just wait and see. Just yeah, don't wish e- don't wish every day away, but just make sure. Do you think? Do you think with finances and what have you that? If, if one club goes, it'll be half a dozen or more might go because, you know, outside of the Premier League, where big transfers are still taking place, it's a quiet window this year, but they haven't got the off-field income. I mean, how are a club like Bristol Rovers surviving even, or even a Cheltenham Town, you know, because they've got zero income, haven't they? Yeah, but yeah, all of a sudden, though, but Cheltenham Town get a Manchester City. Of course, now, yeah. You know, you know, when you get a Manchester City, then then the finances will 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 be, you know, or won't be so heavy and everything else. David, I, I just wish, I just hope and sincerely hope that everybody can to to can get together and and maintain the input of what 
we have understood and what has given the Gould family a wonderful, wonderful life. You know, yeah. we've never we've never come across what we're, we're suffering at the moment. But I just wish that, you know, we can all not try and do things that we shouldn't be doing. We know in our own mind we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, no, very true. True words indeed. Bobby Gould, it's been great talking to you. Uh, it's uh, We could have talked about so many things with your record of your playing career. You know, that's incredible that you've kept all of that. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, thank you for joining us. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you still the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. All the McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.